Welcome to Impact and Freedom with your host, Jason Feldman. All right, welcome to Impact and Freedom. I'm Jason Feldman, and I am incredibly excited to have our guest, Adrian Jones, host of the Profound Awesomeness podcast. And I love that name. Um, he has an incredibly inspiring story um, and is someone who is all in on building a business of impact. So welcome to the show, Adrian. Jason, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited for this conversation, no doubt. I am too. I am too. As a fellow podcast host, we're, we're, go- we're going to be battling of the, of the host who can have the most podcast sounding voice, I think. Oh boy. Well, we have to get our voice going, don't Real. we? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but you have a crazy uh inspiring story. So I'd love to to um just take us take us that journey that led you into your podcast. Absolutely. And I'll start with uh I'll go back to 2016. In the okay. fall of 2016, I live in, in Northern California, just over the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco and uh, in, in a place called Marin County, which is uh, a really tremendous place to, to live and to raise kids. And it is a very hilly place. About 85% of the county is protected open space. There are lots of trails, uh, fire trails, single track trails to hike, ride your bike, ride your horse on. And going back to 2016, I was out mountain biking with three friends of mine. And during this mountain bike ride, we were climbing up uh, a double ascent, uh, which was pretty strenuous for those in the area that are familiar with the trails in the region. We were going up a trail called Shaver Grade. We're headed up and I lost all the feeling in my legs, all the, all the strength in my legs just vanished. And mm. it was all I could do to pedal a little bit further along. And my friends were waiting for me at the next trail juncture. And the world started to spin in the most terrifying and frightening way. And it was all I could do to click out of my pedals, get off my bike. And quite candidly, a little TMI here, we got really sick, got vomited all over the place and got back on my bike. We rode some more. I got a pain in my chest and I got off my bike and I lay across the, the fire trail and started to pound my chest like, I don't know, King Kong or something like that, trying to evacuate this this chest pain and, and mm. I, I couldn't get it out and it hurt like you wouldn't believe. And I was getting weaker by the minute and it was hard to ride my bike. And all along I thought it was food poisoning because I had had uh, a father daughter dinner date at our local sushi place the night before. So I was thinking, well, this must be my, my unlucky. I drew the short straw experience with sushi. I, I had sashimi with a side of bacteria and, and I was clearly uh, suffering from food poisoning. Mm. Well, it turns out that wasn't the case. It wasn't a little bit longer that I was, I actually couldn't ride my bike any longer. We had to walk down the trail and I lost the the feeling in both my ring and pinky fingers. A friend of mine had his car waiting for me at the, the trailhead and he threw me in the car and drove down the, the local road here to the hospital a couple miles away. His hands at 10 and two locked onto the steering wheel, knuckles as white as can be. And he's just telling me, you got to get help. You got to get help. And I'm wheezing. I can't breathe. I'm so weak. My chest is killing me. Mm. And I go into the hospital and find out that I'm in the, in the throes of having a heart attack. My, my left anterior descending artery, AKA the widow maker, 
was 100% blocked by the time I got onto the operating table that fateful day, October 8th of 2016. Mm. And I'm very, very lucky to be here. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that happened. That's incredible. So so you, you have a daughter. Talk about like what, what prior to that, what was life like? Where were you at? You know, I, I, I was that guy, I had a master's degree in business, was commuting in and out of the city about three hours a day, had a job in corporate America, uh, moved up out of the city of San Francisco up here to Marin County when my kids were super young. And like I said, it was just a great place to raise our kids. And so I was, I was the, the dad around town, coached youth soccer, uh, worked, worked pretty hard, you know, tried to get home for dinner every night. That was really important to me. Uh, but I was up early to catch a early ferry into the city so I could uh, get there in time and, and, and be able to leave at an early enough time so I could make family dinner every night. But I, I was, was sort of the driven sort, uh, career-oriented person. And, you know, I don't know if this is maybe where we're headed, but, you know, even when I went mountain bike riding that day, my wife was out of town uh, on a project. She was in Colorado that particular weekend. And I ran out of the house to go mountain biking. I I had arranged Mm -hmm. the ride. I was running late. So as I, I ran out the garage door, I hollered over my shoulder to my kids who I used to call my screenagers. They were about 11 and 13 at the time. They were on their their iPhones and maybe they were 12 and 14. But anyways, uh, I just hollered over my shoulder. I'll be back in an hour and a half. Um, and as a result of my heart attack, uh, that changed in terms of how I'm going to engage my life, things I'm going to do with my life, how, what I'm going to do and where I'm going to do it is all. So I've so much changed as a result of, of the heart attack. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That is incredible. So take, so let's pick back up. Uh, you had your, and your kids are at home at that point when you went to the hospital, kids were home alone. I was begging my friend to take me home. Uh, I was was telling him like, just my chest hurts. I think I have food poisoning. I'll take a Pepto. I'll take some Pepto Bismol, maybe an Alka-Seltzer, drink some bubbly water. I'll just lay down on the sofa and I'll be fine. He was like, no way you need help. Something is seriously wrong with you. And thank goodness uh, he said that. But and, and I even begged him. I said, my kids are home alone. Like, I can't leave them. I can't go to the hospital and be stuck in ER for hours. Like, I, I don't have time. Yeah. For just, no, you don't have much time. Like, you need help immediately. Uh, and I got to tell you, Jason, the the hack to get into the emergency room really, really quickly when you get to the triage, triage desk in ER uh-huh. is to say, my name is Adrian Jones. I'm 46 years old. My chest hurts <laughs> and I'm having trouble breathing. That's exactly what I said. And I had a, a nurse with a gurney next to me in no time flat. And wow. they had me back in the ER doing tests on me, EKGs, and then put a defibrillator on my chest. And the whole thing started. Oh, man. So so how long were you in there for? Well, I was. Uh, I had surgery immediately. Uh, they they put a stent into my into that the widowmaker, the left anterior descending artery, and I was in the hospital for three days. Mm. Yeah, oh. Oh, two nights and three days. Yeah. So, take us from there. Like, like this is obviously one of those life changing events. So, um, 
who who was watching the who ended up watching the kids? Well, uh that's a terrific question. Luckily, uh, we live in a tremendous community and some great friends of ours got wind of what had happened that I was in the hospital and they immediately knew that my wife was out of town. So they came over, got the dog, got our kids. Uh, eventually, at some stage later on, they, they brought an overnight kit to the hospital for me with my toiletries and some change of clothes and stuff like that. Uh, uh, awesome. But they, yeah, which was which was great because my wife was working a project all weekend and she was trying to get out of it to catch a flight home. And mm. I got to tell you, as they were running down the hospital with me t- from the emergency room to the cath lab where they do um, heart procedures and they were literally running down the hallway, uh, defibrillators attached to my chest. I had three thoughts. The first thought was I don't want my wife to fly home a widow. Like I don't want to put this at her feet. This is not how I want to mm. say goodbye to her. My second thought, you know, I was talking about my kids earlier and at the top of the show there. And I, I, I remember thinking, why did I run out of my house and not tell my kids I love them? Like mm. that was just, that just, I, I vowed in the moment that that would never happen again. When my, when I was leaving my kids or they were leaving me that I, they would get, and I loved you from dad. They would hear that from me. And my third thought was re- really steeled me. And, uh, you know, I said, this is not happening today. This is not going to go down. I'm walking out of this hospital of my own feet and my own volition. And that's what I'm going to do. And then next, thing you know, I was, I was on the operating table and, and they were doing all the work on my, on my chest and wow. did, an ang- did an angioplasty and, uh, to clear out the, the artery and then placed a stent in there. Wow. So much to impact there. So so this was definitely, I mean, going into it, automatic shift and, and just, I, I love what you said about your kids. Like that's, that's such a important lesson is that I think we sometimes get into this permanence mode where we think every day is just going to be like the last or, you know, like we're going to come home. Like we don't really look at it like, Hey, like every day's like a bonus day and we don't know what's going to happen. So a lot of times we don't take, we take a lot of what we have for granted. And then we realize, you know, when we lose it, we realize, Oh man, I had this great thing. And then, and I lost it. So I love, I love that um, perspective. And I think it's incredibly important. I think too, with, I mean, I'm 43. I, I think about this a lot is, is just about life and the, the meaning and what's important in life. And, you know, kids are, it's such a small window with the kids. Um, and it's so easy to just take those days for granted. So, yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and there's an expression I learned a few years ago, which is just, is so true to me. It's, the days as a as a parent, the days are long, but the years fly by, and it's mm. so absolutely true. There, there are days you just you feel like you're just in the weeds, in the yeah. mud, in the thick of it, like oh my gosh. But you blink, and four or five years go by. You blink again, and then another six years go by. You're like, wait a minute, what is happening? <laughs> like, it didn't seem like time would ever pass at, at some stage here, being a parent, and now 
for me now, my kids are both in college and uh, I've got one who's now going to be a senior in college. So they've, and I'm, and I'm wondering like, where did all this time go? Not fair, Mm. not fair at all, but you're right to enjoy the time that we have and, and to be prescient in that time is so important. So important. I love that quote. The days are long and the years are short, especially for us dads. It's, I mean, we don't have the same empathy level as a mom. So, I mean, it can, you know, it can be rough. It can be rough. But at the end of the day and even reflecting on it, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I mean, we do our best to, um, in the moment as we can, but a lot of times we're very reactive as fathers, you know, um, but, uh, you know, we love our kids and we want them, we, we want the best for them. And, you know, that reflection piece is huge. Um, I'd love to learn what happened after the hospital. Yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you, there's a little bit of a curveball here because as I was laying in, after they got me through surgery, they wheeled me into the ICU and they hooked me up to all the machines and, and made sure that the monitors were working and that I was stable and, and in a good condition. And the last nurse walked out of the room and swung the, the curtains to the room. I had the room to myself, swung the curtains to the room closed. And the first, it wasn't even a thought. It was a voice that spoke in my ear, truly in my right ear. I, I, it was so real that I looked to my right, like someone's in this room with me and they weren't. And the voice said, find your birth parents. I'm mm. adopted. And so after this heart surgery, for the first time in my life, I had this otherworldly force talk to me and say, find your biological family. And in that moment, I knew that's exactly what I had to do. That even though I had been raised at this up to 46 years at this point and had a great, great upbringing and great family, this was the time I was going to go strike out and find my biological family because I wanted to find out if heart disease runs in the family for me and for my kids. I wanted to, I, I figured that my biological parents might want to know how I turned out and that I turned out okay. And I almost checked out of here. And then the third thing was I, I wanted to know if, if I had siblings and if they'd want to have a relationship with me and have me in their lives. So as I got out of the hospital, I had that on my brain too, that mm. I was going to go find my biological family. So I get out of the hospital. I start, uh, prettiest rig pretty rigorous regimen of what they call cardiac rehab where you go to a facility three days a week uh, for an hour each time you're hooked up to leads so they can monitor your heart rhythms they test your blood pressure periodically and over time you regain your physical strength and what I like to say your psychological strength you know when I first went to this the facility I was on a treadmill walking very gingerly right after my heart attack fast forward a couple of weeks I was starting to jog on the treadmills and just work up my physical strength and my psychological strength that I could stretch my heart and work my heart and get into a sweat and I wasn't going to have another heart attack. So I was doing that and that's a three-month period. And it was about uh, a month and a half into my cardiac rehab, about November, late November of 2016, that I met a genetic genealogist at a party who offered to help me with my biological search for my uh, my, my family, my family of origin. And she and I agreed to, we would work together and, and she would help me. And we went for a walk shortly after this party. And I told her what I knew about my biological parents, which wasn't a whole lot at the time. 
I went back to cardiac rehab. Two days later, after I met this genealogist, her name is Christina. After I met Christina, she says, I got to show you something. And it turns out she had found in, in basically two days with the little information I could provide her, she was able to find the woman that would turn out to be my biological mother. Wow. In two days without DNA, um, just with basic information, found her. And it turns out this woman went to the, as, as the world turns, went to the same Catholic, private Catholic high school that our daughter was attending. Was She was two months into her freshman year as a, as a high school student in the same high school that her paternal biological grandmother <laughs> attended many years earlier. Wow. That is incredible. Yeah, it's 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 a nutty story and and it just made my head spin and I got to tell you like my world started to really change fairly profoundly and it's why I have now have a podcast called Profound Awesomeness is on one hand I had what I call survivor superpowers. I had developed more a, a greater appreciation for life, uh, an ability to be more present in the moment. I didn't sweat the small stuff. Mm. I was, I think I was more the, the king of sweating the small stuff before the heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Now I was like, you know, uh, there's no such thing as a bad day. I mean, I, I think I know what a really bad day is and what's happening to me is does not constitute a bad day. This is just, you know, a couple of unfortunate things happening or whatever. But you had, so I had my survivor superpowers that were flexing and kicking into high gear, which was really cool. And just having this, whole sensation that I had survived a near death experience yeah. coupled, coupled with this um, supercharged search for my biological family that I thought would take months or weeks. I had no idea. And I find a genealogist who is incredibly good at her craft, who found my biological family in the shortest amount of time. And during that time, we did do a uh, commercial DNA test. We used uh, Ancestry. And for the first time in my life, I knew my ethnicity, although it continues to change as they improve their algorithms. But but that was powerful to see. And then eventually, I met my biological parents, and I, I learned the story of how I came to be. I met three new sisters of mine, mm. none of whom knew I existed. I never knew they existed. And I was not only acknowledged once I reached out to my biological family, but I was welcomed and I was embraced. Such a powerful thing. I I know there are other adoptees or other uh, people seeking genetic truths out there and they are not always welcomed or greeted with open arms. And I I have a lot of uh, empathy and sympathy for them, but I, I was lucky in that my biological family welcomed me and embraced me, which was huge. So I had this, and, and to be perfectly candid, meeting my biological family filled holes in me that I never knew I had. Mm. I didn't, I didn't realize I was missing some, some element of my life when in fact it's sort of profoundly intuitive, like you were adopted. You you have no idea where you came from and who your biological parents are. And those early chapters of your life, like were foreign to me. Now I have all those chapters. So I had my super superpowers with this whole genetic dis- biological family discovery happening. And I got in this really cool place that I like to call profound awesomeness, which just living with so much more meaning, intent, and purpose and under- living my whole self, like my full being. I could understand my full being 
for the first time in my life. And, and it just it was just amazing. I couldn't believe that I could be at the eight, you know, midlife and to be experiencing these sensations, which is so powerful. That's incredible. A lot of times it's like, it's one of those things. It's like realizing like, like life is happening for me instead of to me, because anybody could have taken that experience and said, this is BS. I'm, I'm only 46 and I had a heart attack and, you know, I mean, I'm sure that when we hit those kind of forks in the road, we make a few decisions that can really splinter us off into different directions. Um, you decided to embrace so much that you have, which is super cool. And then that led to even more, you know, finding out even more. And I love that you called that experience like your your superpower. So, so many times we take those moments in life that, um, like like mine, like um, you know, I I had a problem with alcohol and drugs at one point, you know, and um, where like even early on, I almost died from from doing that. And and but like when you hit your lowest of lows or you hit these moments of like, you have nothing, you know, where you can, where your brain actually says this, this is it are the times that really help you think deeper on a level that you would never have thought of. Um, you would never have thought of on a daily basis. And then, you know, with that, becomes this message and through all this pain and all this discovery, we can help other people, other people that have been through experiences like us. And, and it's, it's, it is a superpower. It's something that helps bind us together. And it's something that, um, you know, takes us to a place that we never thought we'd even go without it. So I love that. Um, I love that whole perspective on it. Well, thank you. I, I feel really lucky. And, and it was, it just came to me like this is, I would, I felt so lucky to be here. I mean, this thing could have gone a number of different ways for me. And I'm talking specifically about the heart attack. Mm. Um, I could have not made it down the hill. And in fact, people where I live do die. We, we lost someone in our community very recently uh, up there on the similar trail that I was on. But we have to be so like every day is a gift. Every breath, I mean, it's not guaranteed. It's, I know it's a saying out there, no breath is guaranteed, but just, it's just amazing what we have that we get to wake up with and we get to do things. You don't have to do things. We get to do things, which is just a, a real opportunity and and I was just grateful to have another chance and, and to realize like, oh my gosh, I almost lost all this. And my life is actually, now that I do do some self-assessments on myself, my life is pretty amazing. I got an amazing mm -hmm. wife, like two great kids, an incredible family. And I've got this whole new biological family that I get to know and, and, and meet and make up for lost time with. Like that was all so cool. I like to say groovy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what do you go? Where do you go from there? Well, you know, I used to lay in bed and wonder 
why I survived. So I'm, I, I'm enjoying my superpowers and, and, and I hadn't quite started my search for my biological family yet, but I would lay in bed and go, oh my God, like, why did I survive? Why me? What am I supposed to do with the second chance in life? And I would ask this question of my universe, my God, like, just put it out there. Like, what, what am I supposed to do? And the answer that came back to me was quick and clear. It was to use my story to help and inspire other people. Mm. And that made a ton of sense to me. I didn't know how I was going to manifest that, to be perfectly honest. But I, I knew that that's what I needed to do. And I would, I would get myself there. I would transition there. I would figure it out. So I did start to do uh, some public speaking. I got connected with the you know, American Heart Association, for example, and I've done some fundraising work for them. I've, I've done some public speaking on their behalf. I started to blog. I started to write blog pieces for my, my genealogist friend, Christina, uh, worked with her, uh, with adoptees who might want my perspective prior to doing a search for their biological families. I was like, well, here's what happened to me. Here's where I'm at with my process and, and how I'm getting to know my biological family. Like what from my lessons, what lessons from my story can you learn? Did you public speak before that? Uh, no. Wow. No. Nope. I mean, I'd, I'd done the odd talk here and there for, for work, for my career, but, but no, this was, I needed to get my story out there. And I knew that if I could just, if I could just help somebody with my story, just one person today and the next day, and the next day, like maybe, maybe that make the world a better place and we could start the ripple effect. Love it. That's a scary thing for most people to do. So that's why I asked that because, you know, some people have that as a gift from early on, but some some of us uh, have really horrible experiences in public speaking. And then later on, we get forced into it and it becomes something <laughs> that we have to learn to do. So that's why. It's- yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. It. It, uh, I, I guess I'm like, I have a saying, I, I've never met a mic I don't like. That's probably why I ended up in podcasting. <laughs> and I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends named Mike too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but ultimately, uh, I, so I, I left, I left my job in corporate America. I stopped working in San Francisco. I did, uh, find a translatable job closer to home. And around COVID times, in early 2020, I started to think about, could I do a podcast? Is there a message that I could, first of all, do people want to hear what I have to say? And then we'll figure that part out. Uh, but let's, let's assume that there are some out there that might benefit from what I have to say. Could I, could I have a podcast that would have impact and that would help people? And I landed on this concept of, of the profound awesomeness and how, People can go through incredibly trying, traumatic, they can go through tragedies, they can go through calamities, and they can come out the other side, yet living with meaning, intent, and purpose, and living their best lives. And how do they get there, given extraordinary trials that were presented to them in their lives, whether it's cancer, paralysis, plane crashes, you name it, what could we learn from these people that that could help other people? And so that's so I started the podcast as a hobby back in, about almost two years ago, May 2021. 
purely as a nights and weekend. I wouldn't even classify it as a side hustle, just a, a, ho- a COVID hobby. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And fast forward, we get into 2022 and I'm having a lot of self-assessments about where am I going with things? And I'm still feeling some dissonance within me around what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And I'm still, you know, I've got this other job and my W2 job. And I just decided that I, I want to just get much more serious about podcasting and making a difference in people's lives through storytelling. And so, yeah, I, I doubled down on my efforts in podcasting and I'm getting much more focused and rigorous about recording and publishing and getting these stories out there of stories of other people uh, and their, 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 their experiences of trauma, tragedy or calamities and how they've come out the other side. And when you told people that, what was the reaction? <laughs> oh, what? That I was going to start podcasting? Yeah. Like, like this is my thing. I'm going to start doing podcasts. And I think, well, I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. I've never <laughs> actually been asked that, but I would say that people were pretty uh they were they were curious, supportive, um a little dumbfounded like wow, that's not how we knew you. <laughs> you know, you're you're the corporate guy, you were in financial services and doing all this stuff and now you're out pursuing a, a podcasting thing. Okay. But I <laughs> I just felt really drawn to it. Yeah. Uh and I still do. I I feel like there are stories that need to be told that I can give a platform to, to help other people. And that is yeah. ultimately what gets me up as it relates to podcasting, what gets me up to do the podcasting thing. Yeah. I think when I, the first time I did a podcast, I, cause I loved, I loved podcasting oh, man for, I don't, I can't even remember dates, but <laughs> for, for, a, for a while now. And I remember working a job at a restaurant and I uh, discovered Lewis Howe's, uh, uh, what is it? Greatness. Oh, why am I blanking? School of Greatness. <laughs> School of Greatness. Okay. Yeah. It's a, such a cool, it's such a cool podcast. And I just remember, I remember I working there thinking, man, what he does with Lewis house, what he does, like, this is so cool. Like I, I would love to do this one day, like, mm. but not taking it seriously, you know, just, and then fast forward. And, um, I don't know if it was 2018 or right around then, uh, 2019, I started a podcast with another insurance agent. We were just trying to learn more of our craft and learn more from other people and just, help insurance agents. We're like, this could really be something that we could stir up some good conversation and learn and help other agents. And then uh, we took that and then started a business a year later. But it's just funny (laughs) because I'll never forget the the reactions. Well, my situation might be a little different because it's called the insurance dudes. So it was... Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. 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 So so people are like, what what are you doing? but it was, yeah, I, most of my reactions were just, what are you doing, dude? And then we built a business a year later off the back of that. And then it made a lot more sense at that point. Um, but I have such a, bec- because of all those experiences, I have such um, such a fondness for for podcasting. I think it's such a great 
mouthpiece. And I, I love listening to him. Such a great mouthpiece for someone to. Yeah. And I do too. I love listening to them. I think it's a fantastic medium. And I, I someone used the word intimate to describe a podcast, which I, I found so interesting. Like it's a really intimate, someone's in your ear and talking to you. And it feels like they're like literally just talking to me, to you. And, and, yep. and I think that that's really cool. I, I love that perspective. Um, and so, yeah, that's interesting. You, some, some friends were giving you a hard time, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is intimate and it's, yeah. it is more of a conversation. It's less corporate. It's less mm-hmm. structured. It, it is a conversation and it is just like you're sitting next to somebody and you get yeah. that feeling and then you get that closeness with them. You know, you learn a lot about them and their family and, you know, the way they handle life. And it's just, it's so cool. Such a cool, but I love what you're doing with it too. Cause, um, yeah, like, like I said, I mean, I learned so much from going through, from hitting like a few bottom points in my life where you do, I mean, you do have a different perspective and you do do some serious soul searching in, in those times and much deeper than I believe, um, the, average person does. And I used to always think like, man, I wish, I wish I could just go to work every day and be okay with that. And I have a friend that's a a mailman and he's been a mailman for like 20 years. And I've done just all different kinds of stuff and been jobless, but you know, highs and lows and everything else. And he just goes to work every day, constantly gets a better, um, uh, pay raise constantly gets a retirement. Uh, he listens to podcasts all day and walks around. I'm like, dude, if I wish I could do that, I wish that I could just, you know, but, you know, but I think that sometimes when we see somebody that has a life where they haven't hit those low lows, um, they, they, maybe they haven't gone as deep, you know, as, as we have. And then, you know, once you start going deep and you start digging, you start doing the search, you can't stop. No. That's a great point. You can't yeah. stop. Yeah. Can't One, stop. Yeah. 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 And so you're, you were talking about, I, I'm, I'm curious going back to what you were yeah. saying, <laughs> like <laughs> the guest becomes the host and gets the questions. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but you were talking about when, when, when you hit, you mentioned that you would, um, you talked about drugs and alcohol a yes. bit ago, like, what was that like for you? And and did you when you came out of that? Did you have any self discovery then? Well, the, the, so that was a long process. I I had played music um, mm-hmm. in Christian bands, uh, I, ironically, um, in my teens, and then going into my twenties, and then I went to music school, got into drugs and drinking, and then my whole twenties just partied, partied away, and mm-hmm. um, did hit some low points. But the whole almost like ODing a couple times was early on in my twenties. I didn't stop drinking until my mid to late thirties. And so that whole process was a long process. Everything from in my twenties to, uh, you know, playing music to real, you know, then towards the end of my twenties being jobless, my, my girlfriend at the time that I had throughout my twenties, uh, said, basically, I'm going to leave you. If you, (laughs) yeah, I'm not cool with you. Just, you know, not, not having a job. So I ended up getting a job, which ended up being a, a busser 
and working my way up to bartender and, um, you know, dialing it back on the drinking, uh, got married, started having kids, but had some drinking, uh, dialed it all back. And it, and I even quit drugs, but like, just not, not in control, not in control to the point where I had this one experience when my daughter was young that, um, she, I had her, uh, I was in, um, big bear and we w- went out drinking with some friends and I eventually got blackout. And the next day I had a picture of her on my shoulders that I don't remember. Oh no. And that was it. I said, I can't do this anymore. So, um, from that point on, uh, it took a few years. Um, and through those, that period, I, it, my mom raised me and it was just me and her. We had a falling out at one point. Um, I just hit this rock bottom where I was like, I, I have no control over any part of my life right now. And I'm getting all this good stuff, um, like a family and stuff, but I just, I, I'm broken, you know? Um, so that's when I started the journey of like dialing back the drinking thing. I ended up quitting drinking. My wife ended up quitting drinking. And really from that point and that whole, that whole period was a real like, who am I? What am I? What am I doing? Kind of period. It was years. Once I really was able to quit drinking and, and um, started working out, just all the things, right? Like completely shedding that old person, lazy person and just becoming this new person. That's when I went back to school and, and, uh, graduated and bought, bought an insurance agency. And then we developed the insurance agency, made another agency, developed a product from that to another company. And all that happened because of that whole transformational period. I mean, I never would have been able to do anything if I didn't hit the rock bottom and really just had that, those moments, dude, I remember like being on my knees in the, in the kitchen, just bawling my eyes out. Just like, help me. God, it's tough. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. But I mean, those are, those are the real moments, you know, those are the, you, you gotta, you gotta get to the lowest of the low sometimes. And that could be through, you know, death experiences or just your world shifts and, um, to really look inward and find out like what really matters, you know? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. And, uh, yeah. I mean, going back to the heart attack, what really matters yet? It became crystal clear to me. Those, Mm those thoughts I shared with you in the hospital, not wanting my wife to, you know, to say goodbye to my wife this way. And, and why didn't I tell my kids I loved them? And, and this is not going to happen today. I'm checking out of this hospital on my own two feet. I'm going to make it, uh, really was crystallizing for me in terms of what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be and how I wanted to live going forward. Um, I love that it, you know, we all have our, our, we all, in one form or another, uh, go through something, I think like that. And then the question is, do you, do you listen to it mm. and what do you gain from it? And, and what do you pick up from the signals of the universe 
if you're paying attention and and then where does it where can you grow as a result and i think yeah. that's sort of how i i was my approach to things and and i think i'm still going through i mean my my heart attack was back in 2016 the fall of 2016 becoming on 7 years here in a few months uh but i'm still in i think i'm still going through transition uh, mm. of of shedding some of my former self and as i move into uh, this new world. And, and, and now I'm, I, I, you know, candidly, my, what I'm doing right now is I'm podcasting and I'm, I'm not in the, I don't have a traditional W2 job now. And I'm leaning into this space in the sheer belief and conviction that I'm doing the right thing, that being a podcaster, sharing these stories, trying to make a difference in the world, make put a positive dent into the universe while I'm here with the time I have left is the right thing to do. And some things are, are going to, and it, it, it runs counter to how I, my belief system is in terms of how I was raised. Like you will have a job and you will always have an income and you will provide and all this sort of stuff. And then to say like, okay, I, I had life grabbed me by the lapels and gave it a good shake with the heart attack. And so I'm listening to it. I, I listened to the universe said, okay, what do you want me to do? And the answer was use your use your story to help and inspire the people. I wasn't doing it well enough for a few years, so I now I'm now I'm really focused on it because I was I have so much dissonance internally, really wrestling with this. I'm like, no, I'm just going to go do this full time. I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to meet interesting people like you, Jason, have great conversations, and just see where this journey takes me. Um, and so that's where I'm at. And and I hope you know where I'm on the Impact and Freedom podcast. I hope that I'm able to have an impact. I mean, that is my, what I'm, what I'm all about right now. And I'm sure you, I'm sure you have already, um, you know, we don't always hear about the changes that, you know, somebody that might be listening that you don't know, that you'll never know, but you help shift their life. Like, like Lewis Howes did me with, you know, the Mm -hmm. podcast, get me through the, those working days and, and wanting to do more. Um, so that's that's awesome. I, I love that you follow it. And I think part of it is, you know, school and everything. Now, I don't want to come off too negative on this, but like a lot of times school teaches us to to just, you know, follow directions and, you know, go get that job where you're going to work forever. And that whole narrative that's been told for forever is just not the only way. Let's just say that. It's certainly not the only way. And and it does feel unnatural when we do that and we take those steps out. Um, but I don't think that there's anybody that hasn't followed their intuition and hasn't been successful in one form or another. And, and it might be learning, a lot, lot of learning lessons along the way, you know? But I mean, you take like a, like an Elon Musk, he's all intuition, you know, like he's just follows it. Like, you know, putting man same with like the Jeff Bezos and all the, you know, Steve Jobs and all these people that that's a huge, that's on such a grand scale. But um, I mean, they were there at one point, they weren't those people and they took those leaps of faith, you know? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you're right. And 
I'm doing one right now and it is truly a leap of faith. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, yeah. Yeah. So whatever advice you have for me, I'm all ears. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. I, I, I think yeah. one of the thing too is like um, that you have, uh, you have a miss, uh, a mission and a message and it's something that people need to hear. Um, and it's probably something you needed to hear at one point. Right. Uh, yeah, for sure. And I think it's important to, to, when we get those, the, the calling to, to serve and to do that is just serve. And and if we serve others, and that's why I think the service industry is so powerful when we truly serve others, um, and make others' lives better. I, I cannot see how money can't follow. I can't see how if you're truly doing that. If you're, and I always like like as an exercise, I always think about like if someone just helped everybody on the planet, like 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 a Jesus Christ character, right? If somebody just went around helping others, and there was no money, that person would be the richest man alive. Why? Because no matter who he asked. For something from everybody would give it to him if he needed food, lodging, right? Because he helped everybody else. So then you insert money into that, and people are willing to give money for for help. I mean, that's why that's what businesses do. They solve problems and they help others and in exchange for for money. So I think if we really truly have a servant's heart and we go out and trying to help other people, um, the business will follow. I actually think that that's the correct way to do it rather than the business and then the heart. Mm. I really like the way you said that. Yeah. I really, really like that. I'm, I'm sitting here nodding as you're talking. Cause it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm No, I mean, I'm following, I'm following my heart and my intuition and I, I hope, you know, that it all will follow whatever it is meant to be will follow and be very clear to me. That's awesome. Well, um, what would you say to yourself prior to this experience and, and for those out there that are listening, uh, what, what advice would you give that person? I, I would advise, well, I guess I would say. Live your life like you're not taking it for granted. Mm. 100%. I love that. And you can apply that to even somebody that might be crushing it financially. Yeah. Regardless. Because it, yeah. it's not the stuff that matters, right? It's, it's the family. It's the things that when you're in those circumstances that pop in your head. Yeah. I love those three things that you, that you had in, in the, that moment, you know, really kind of yeah. put perspective on things. Yeah. You know, someone said to me, I'm going to steal this from a, a friend of mine. He <laughs> said that after the chess game, the pawn, the king and the queen all go in the same box. And I thought mm. that was really powerful. Uh, just a, a great way of seeing things. I thought, and, and to your, to your point about the riches and the money and all that stuff, but it's, live your life. Like you're not taking it for granted. Like this is, you shouldn't take any of this for granted. It's hard not to, but for those of us that have had close brushes and, and near, near 
calamities, like serious, serious calamities where we were no longer on this planet. You just got to live without, you can't have regrets. You've got to live life to the fullest. It sounds so trite coming as I say these words, but I truly mean them that there is so much we have to be grateful for. Don't take it for granted. Enjoy, be grateful. You get to wake up every day and, you know, the old have to get to, you know, mm-hmm. um, I find myself, I'll complain, oh, I, I have to do the laundry or I have to empty right. the dishwasher or I have to mow the lawn or I have to, like, just just change out have to to throw and get to in there. Oh, I, I, I get to mow the lawn today. Oh, cool. I, I get to do the dishes. Yeah, because I, I actually know a bunch of people who can't do that anymore. Yeah. They're no longer with us or what have you and are in a capacity where they can't do that. So, um yeah, that helps reframe some things. When I get a little spirally in a bad place, I'm like, no, just do a little have to get to exercise and that'll get me back on track. Yeah, so true. So true. Well, awesome, Adrian. Thank you so much. And if you're listening to this, go check out Adrian at the Profound Awesomeness podcast. Um, love to hear those stories of others as well. Well, thank you for the the plug. I, I definitely appreciate it. You can reach out to me through profoundawesomeness.com. And it was just a real joy to come on the show and, and talk about a lot of interesting principles and things that are really important to us. Uh, it was just really thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, Jason. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I did too. Thank you so much, Adrian.